I remember a point in my life when I was really living life on my own terms. I, I, I was empty, lost, chasing things that would bring temporary pleasure, but also a lot of bondage. I remember uh, now reflecting back on that time that my mom was at home praying scripture over my life. And so I believe with all my heart that a large part of the reason why I'm here and able to serve as your pastor is because of the power of praying God's word. And and as we jump into week two of our series in Philippians, looking at Philippians chapter one, we'll be looking at at this prayer. And I just encourage you to pray this prayer over people you love. We're going to be looking at Philippians one, chapter uh, verses nine through 11, just three short verses. Uh, but they are packed uh, with content rich in understanding. And we're going to spend our whole time just talking through these three verses and this prayer by the Apostle Paul. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, if you're on our live platform, just click that box that says notes in the upper left-hand side. If you're uh, listening to this in a podcast later, maybe maybe years later, uh, or maybe you're watching on YouTube today, uh, you can go to our website, uh, centralsj.org. Just click on the message page, and there's notes there for you to follow along. But, but here's where we jump in. If you're taking notes, uh, this is the first fill in the blank. And that is this. Uh, joy comes when we pray for others. Uh, joy comes when we pray for others. We've been looking at keys that unlock joy in our life. And, and last week, Paul gave us uh, three keys to unlocking joy. And, and one key that we discovered this week is that, that, that pray, praying for others actually unlocks joy in in our lives. We see Paul praying for, for people uh, here in, in this book of Philippians, praying for the, the church of Philippi. But throughout, throughout scriptures, Paul is, is constantly praying for other people. And a part of the reason that he has joy in the midst of unprecedented circumstances, un, unprecedented situations, is because he's always praying for, for other people. Uh, part of growing in the Lord is learning to pray for others. It's having a, a concern about God's work in the lives of other people. And so today we're going to look at one of the model prayers that the Apostle Paul gives us. So if you're new to praying, maybe you're not a praying person, uh, maybe you're new to prayer, maybe you're seasoned in prayer, maybe you're, you're faithful in prayer, I would just encourage you, let's be people who pray the Word of God. Praying the Word of God is one of the most valuable tools that we have to build a dynamic daily prayer life. And it, it brings power it brings truth. It brings encouragement into our prayer time. And so he, he, in your notes, I've shared just three of my favorite prayers. There's a lot of prayers throughout scripture that you can use in your personal time with God. But I just want to give you three of my favorites. Uh, one is in Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. We're not going to take time to, to read this, but, but make note of it. And I encourage you this week, uh, read through it and pray it uh, over people, over people that you you care about. Uh, and another one is found in Ephesians chapter 3, 16 through 19. Again, another powerful prayer. And then in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Uh, this is actually the prayer that, that my mom prayed over me for years. Uh, I can, she, she texted me a picture. A matter of fact, whenever I came to Central, uh, my first week here, uh, I was spending time with the Lord and just felt like, like God was asking me to, to pray this as we embark on this new journey. I remember texting the staff and the elders, asking them, hey, let's pray Colossians 1, 9 through 14 for the remainder of the month. Every day we just committed to pray this. We prayed this together as a team. Uh, and I texted my mom and said, hey, I, I don't know, it's kind of weird, but I felt like I was supposed to pray this uh, over the church. And so I, I'm doing that. Mom, what do you think? And she says, you know what, Tim? I've been praying that scripture over you for years. 
And she sent me a text with a, a picture from her Bible dated years ago with this prayer and, and different parts of it highlighted. And, and whenever I was out <laughs> strung out on drugs, when I was out dealing drugs, when I was out living life on my own terms, my mama was praying this over my life. And I'm just telling you, there's power in praying scriptures. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Colossae in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. He says, so, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then you will be able to live uh, your life. The way you live will always, always honor and please the Lord. Your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. And all the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you'll be strengthened by his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who has purchased our freedom and forgiven our sins. Amen. Like what, what a great prayer. I ask a great prayer to pray over people you care about, people you love. Matter of fact, I would challenge you this week as we talk about this prayer and I'm, I'm inviting you to pray Philippians 1, 9 through 11 over, over, over people in your life not just people you love. And I, I, if you want an extra challenge, I double dog dare you to pray this over people you don't like. I pray this over people that you're a little bit angry at. People maybe you're bitter at. Maybe they don't vote like you. Maybe they're, they're on the other side of that opinion as you. Maybe there's some animosity uh, in that relationship. I just, I dare you. Start praying Philippians 1, 9 through 11 over their life and see how God not only works in their life, but works in, in your heart. But notice what Paul doesn't pray for in, in any of these prayers. He doesn't pray for their physical needs. He doesn't pray for their comfort. He doesn't pray for, pray for like traveling mercies. He doesn't pray for any of those things. Not that it, those things aren't important to him. Paul just realizes that the greater need in your life and mine is our spiritual need. That was true of the church then. It's true of the church today. Spiritual issues are the supreme issues at hand. And so here's our, our key verse today. Here, here's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking through. It's this, this prayer. And, uh, and again, I would encourage you to pray this prayer uh, over people you love, people you care about. I actually have this prayer uh, on my bathroom mirror. Uh, so every morning when I go in there to brush my teeth, I'm reading this prayer and I'm praying it over you. Uh, whenever I go to bed at night, uh, it's the last thing on my mind. It's the last thing I read in the day and I'm praying this prayer over you, and I would encourage you to do the same. Here's Paul's prayer in Philippians 1. Uh, it says this, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So you'll be able to discern what is best. It may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. First point is this, he, Paul prays, the first thing he prays, he, he prays they will grow in love. Philippians 1, 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more, knowledge and depth of insight. Why is this so important? Why is it important for you to grow in love? Why is it important for us to grow in love these days? 
Jesus said this in, in John 13, 35. He says this, by, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Now, now the verse isn't finished, but, but if this wasn't the context of the message, you just heard this for the first time, what is it that, that you think would, would let the world know you're a follower of Jesus? Like maybe you would fill in the blank. I think everyone will know I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. Like if I go to church, I think everyone will know I'm a follower of Jesus. If I vote a certain way, I think everyone will know I'm a follower of Jesus. If I'm, if I'm vaccinated or, or if I'm unvaccinated, I think everyone will know I'm a follower of Jesus. If I don't cuss, I think everyone would know I'm a follower of Jesus. If, if I eat at Chick-fil-A, it's my favorite restaurant. I think everyone know I'm a follower of Jesus if I cheer for the Kansas City Chiefs because uh, they're clearly God's team. Now, uh, what is it that you would fill in the blank that, that everyone will know I'm a disciple of Jesus if I do this one thing? Well, here's what Jesus said. The verse continues. Everyone will know you're a follower of me, that you're my disciple, if, if. And you get to answer that question, if you will or you won't. If you Love one another. This is the Christian's calling card. This is what is supposed to distinguish our life from everyone else that does not know God. It's our deep love for people. Our love for one another. Now back to Philippians 1.9. Paul says, and this is my prayer, that, that, this, that you would live this life of love. This word love is, is agape love. It's, it's God's love for us. It's, it's, it's not just a feeling, it's an, it's an action. Agape love is never, it's not about your feelings. It's about your choice to display love in a practical way. It sees a need, it meets a need. Here, here is agape love in Romans 5.8. It says this, uh, God demonstrated his love for us. Because by having a feeling for us. No, it doesn't say that. God demonstrated his love for us by having kind thoughts about us. No, it doesn't say that. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you. He saw you in your sin, in your brokenness, without, without connection from God, without hope for eternal life. He saw a need and he met a need. It wasn't a feeling. It was action. It wasn't pleasant. It was actually sacrifice. But love sacrifices love. Love sees a need. Love takes action. And Paul prays that, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Love sees a need. Love meets a need. That's love. And Paul prays that, that, they, that the church would have that. I pray we'd be people who, 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 who model love, who live life of love, not just in a little bit, but that your love may abound that word abound, it literally means to, to be in excess, that your love would be in abundance, that your love would be more than expected, that your love would go beyond the norm. More and more in knowledge and depth of, of insight, that you would have the knowledge to know what the need is, that you have the depth of insight to appropriate wisdom, to express love in that situation, that we might have knowledge and depth of insight to love people the way Christ loves us. Paul knows that, that if people do that, it will result in joy. I don't know if you've ever, ever had this experience. Maybe you felt like, maybe in a time of prayer, maybe when you're, you're, you're on your own, maybe on a walk, someone, God, God brings someone to your mind. Maybe you wouldn't say it that way. Maybe someone just pops into your mind. 
and you're like, you know what, I, I should probably shoot them a text. Or I should check in and see how they're doing. Or maybe, maybe you, you feel prompted to give like a monetary gift to them. Or, or maybe you feel prompted to like help them in some way. Whenever you respond to that prompting, what happens? They're blessed by your actions and you feel joy. In that moment, you're modeling agape love. You're seeing a need. You're meeting a need. That's love. And Paul prays that your love, that, that those experiences would abound more and more in your life. That we would display his love, his kindness to the world around us. Second thing he prays for is that they may grow in discernment. That they would grow in discernment. Uh, Philippians 1.10, the first part of it says that you'll be able to discern what is best. Discern what is best. This is huge because when you're living the blessed life, when you're living a life that honors God, when you're living a life that says, God, my life's not my own, my life is yours, God's going to show you favor. He's going to expand your territory. He's going to give you more and more opportunities to come your way as you live a life that honors him. You'll no longer be asking, what, what, what can I do today? It'll be, no, I have so many things to do. What's the best thing I could do? What, what should I take action on? What should I not take action on? What's the best thing? God, we need discernment in that. In First Kings, there's this young man. His name is Solomon. Uh, his dad is, is King David. And he, he's built this, this empire. He's built this, this nation of Israel. It, David passes away. Solomon comes onto the scene. He's a very young man. A place with an extreme mantle of responsibility on his life. And he's like, he's kind of drowning a little bit. He's like, this is beyond me. I'm not sure I'm, I'm, not sure I'm cut out for this. And God comes to him in, in 1 Kings 3, 5. It says, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said this, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And I just wonder, you know, if God came to you today, and this is a question I love to ask people. If God came to you today and he's standing in front of you right now and he says this, he says, ask whatever you want me to give you. What would you ask for? What's really the longing of your heart right now? It's a very clarifying question. Well, Solomon, again, he, he's, he's feeling a little bit overwhelmed with the leadership responsibility that he has. He feels like he, he's unqualified for the role. He says this, so, so in light of all these overwhelming feelings and feeling inadequate, 1 Kings 3, 9 says, so, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and and wrong. Give me the ability to know not just the good things, but the best things. When people come to me with cases and, and situations of injustice, help me to make the right decision. Give me discernment to know right from wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased with Solomon, what Solomon had asked for this. Uh, so God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice to know what's best. I'll give you what you've asked for. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees as David your father did, I will give you a long life. 
Solomon prays for discernment. Help me to know how to administer justice. Help me to know not just the good things, but the best things. And as a result, Solomon is known as the wisest man ever to live. Now back to Philippians 1.10. May you be able to discern what's best. There's a lot of good things that you could do. There's a lot of, a lot of good time, things you could spend your time on, good initiatives that you could invest in. But the question is, what is the best thing? There's some things that, that you could do, but you shouldn't do because someone else is supposed to do them. So have discernment. God gives discernment to know what we should do. In psychology today, uh, researchers are in many different places, but an article in psychology today stated that, that the average person, just the average person will make 35,000 decisions in one day. That means tomorrow when you wake up, you're going to make 35,000 decisions. That's why I'm praying for you. Oh God, give your church discernment. Help them to know not just the good things, but the best things. That's why we need to pray for each other. God, help us to have discernment. Give us a wise and discerning heart. I need you to pray that for me. You know, as a church, man, we're swimming in opportunities. Every week, multiple organizations are contacting us, letting me know, hey, here's an opportunity. Here's a need. Here's how we can meet the need. Do you want to be a part of it? And I just need wisdom to appropriate sound judgment. God, would you give me a discerning heart? to know the good things to do. Here's the reality for me. Here's the reality for you. There is no innocent yes. Whenever you say yes to one thing, you're also saying no to something else. Whenever we, we stay late to work, we're saying no to our families. When we say yes to our families, we're saying no to getting progress on that project. God, give us a wise and discerning heart to know when to say yes and when to say no and what to say yes to and what we need to let go of. When we have discernment and know that we're not just doing good things in our life, but we're doing the best things in our life, it will lead us to a life of joy. Third thing that Paul prays for is that they would be pure and blameless. They would be pure and blameless. Philippians 1.10 says, says may, may, may you be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Let's pray that for each other. I pray you'd live a pure life. I pray you live a life that honors God, that, 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 that you would be true to his word and apply it to your life. Man, for, for most of my life, I thought that word pure is like a buzzkill. Because <laughs> I, I never saw pure as freedom. I thought that was the opposite of freedom. Like freedom was doing whatever I wanted to do, whenever I wanted to do it, however I felt like doing it, I was going to respond to that feeling. But what I found in my life, and many of you have as well, is that whenever I do, whatever, whenever I did, whatever I want to do, it didn't lead to freedom, actually led to captivity. But when I surrendered my life to Jesus and said, Jesus, my life's yours. Whatever you have for me, I want it. Whatever your word says, I'm going to do it. Even if it means being pure and not doing some of the things I used to act out on. What I found in that moment was not, was not bondage. What I found was freedom. What I thought was going to bring me freedom and living however I wanted actually led to my captivity. But when I decided I'm going to live life, I'm going to try to live a pure and blameless life, it led to my freedom and it'll happen for you too. The psalmist wrote this, not only will it lead to freedom, it'll lead to joy. Psalm 119, 1 through 3 says this, joyful 
are the people of integrity who, who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his law and search for him with all their hearts. They don't compromise with evil and don't, and they walk only in his paths. They, they, they know the word of God. They apply it to their life. And as a result, they have joy. That's what Paul's praying here. I pray you'd live a pure and blameless life because when you do, it results in joy. Jesus said this in John 15, 9 through 12, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and I remain in his love. Now check this out. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. How? Living a pure and blameless life, doing what God says. And this is my command, Jesus closes. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Listen, if you're currently calling all the shots in your life, you're living life on your own terms. I, was, like, I get it, I've been there. But I would just dare you to try this for a week, try it for a month, try it for a day. Just, just tiptoe into these waters. Say, God, today I'm, I'm going to not live life on my own terms. I'm going to live life on your terms. I'm going to let you be Lord of my life. Just give him a day. I'm going to do what you asked me to do. I'm going to live my life according to your word. And I guarantee what's going to happen at the end of that day, you'll experience joy. Here's why Zig Ziglar put it this way. With integrity, you have nothing to fear since you have nothing to hide. With integrity, you will do the right thing so that you will have no guilt. Listen, when you're living a pure and blameless life, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to hide. Life is free from guilt. That's a pure life. That's a life that results in joy. Back to Philippians 1:10. He prays they'll be pure. That, that word pure there, it's just, this is an interesting word. It, it literally means to be judged by the sun. It means to be judged by the sun. And here's what Paul's referring to. Here's why Paul chose that word. In Paul's day, most of, uh, of the, the pottery, most of, most of the things that they used for utensils, they, their cooking utensils, their, their glasses, uh, they were made out of clay. They were, they were pottery. And, uh, and so what would happen whenever the potter would, would fire that piece of pottery, oftentimes it would get a crack. It would get like maybe a hairline crack, maybe a, a large crack. And, and whenever the merchant wasn't a reputable individual, uh, he would try to sell the piece of pottery in a way. Uh, what he should have done is discard the pottery. But, but what merchants found is that they could take wax and they could fill the crack with wax and then paint over it. And so, so, so that's what it means to be, be judged by the sun. When you held it to the sun, you could see those imperfections. The Romans picked up on this as well. And so, so they came up with this word whenever, whenever a merchant was reputable, whenever a merchant was actually, uh, actually had a, a perfect piece of pottery, when it was without flaws, when it was, it was pure, when it was blameless piece of pottery, they would mark on that, that piece of pottery, sine sira. It literally meant without wax. We get our English word sincere from that Latin word. It means that you have nothing to hide. It means you're genuine. It means you're the real deal. It means you're, you're true blue. It means you can be trusted. It means you are sincere. The idea here that Paul is praying, he says, man, I, I pray you be pure and blameless. I pray you would present yourself on the outside as you are on the inside. I pray you'd have nothing to hide. I pray you wouldn't have areas of your life where you're just, you're just filling it in with wax and painting it over with a veneer. I pray you'd live a pure and blameless 
life. That's a good prayer for us to pray for each other. I pray you'd pray that for me, that I'd be who I am on the outside would be who I am on the inside, that I'd be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. That kind of life is the kind of life that honors God. It also produces joy in our lives. Uh, fourth and final thing that Paul prays for, he prays they'll be fruitful. He prays that, that their life would, would be fruitful. He says, he says this, I pray you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, that word filled there, it's a, it's a very interesting word. It's not like, you know, how you fill a glass uh, with milk or you, you fill a glass with water. It's more the image of, of how sails are filled with wind. Like it's whenever a, a sailboat is on the water and, and wind fills the sails, it drives, it drives the vessel forward. That, that's the word that, that Paul's using here. We, we see this in Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 11. Uh, the Pharisees, they hear Jesus teaching. And, and as a result, it says they were filled with rage. Like they were driven by it. They were, they were compelled by it. They were driven with rage and talked about how they might kill Jesus. The, the, their anger was filling them. Their anger was driving them. Now back to Philippians chapter 1. May you be filled May you be driven. May, may you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that only comes through Christ. He prays they'd be driven to produce fruit in their lives. They'd be driven to share Jesus with people. They'd be driven to help the hurting. They'd be driven to pray. They'd be driven to serve. That, that love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness would be driving their lives. They'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness, may the Holy Spirit so fill your sails that God drives your life to produce fruit for him. Now, why does Paul pray this? Why does Paul pray that, that they would be abounding in love? Why does he pray that they would be able to discern what's best? Why does he pray they'd be pure and blameless? Why does he pray they would produce fruit in his life, their lives? Does he pray it so Paul can be seen as a good pastor? Did he pray it so the church of Philippi could be like, wow, that's, that's the best church in, in, in the area. Like, wow, they're, they're crushing it. Is that why we're doing this series? No. We, 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 no. Paul prays all these things so, so that the church may live life for the glory and praise of God. Listen, may you abound in love. May you have discernment to know what's best. May you live a pure and blameless life. May your life overflow. May you be driven to produce fruit. Why? So God gets glory. So you can make him famous. So you represent him well. So that your life will be lived for the glory and praise of God. Not for ourselves. God, we just want to live for you. For your name's sake. For your fame. God, for the glory of your name, would you help us to be this kind of people? In the Westminster Catechism, a question was posed that what is the chief end of man? Like what on earth are you here for? Listen, many of you are wrestling with this. In your, your deepest hour, and maybe when you're laying in bed at night, you have these questions that come to mind like what on earth am I here for? Like why, why me in this time, in this space, to scratch around this big ball of dirt? What in the world's happening? Why am I here? And I believe Westminster Catechism got it right. You're here to glorify God and to enjoy him 
forever. You're here to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And any time we make our life about anything else than this, we live life short of the abundant life God has for us. And we live a life without joy. But we say, God, the chief aim in my life, my purpose here is just to bring you glory and just to enjoy you forever. That's when you experience the abundant life. That's when you live a life full of joy. Paul prayed that for you. I'm praying that for you today as well. As a matter of fact, let's just close in praying this prayer. I want to pray this prayer over you from Philippians 1, 9 through 11. This is my prayer for you. May your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. May you be able to discern what's best in a sea of decisions that you'll make this week. God, give them discernment to make the right choice. May may you be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. God, may we be people. We know we're imperfect people in progress, but God, may who we present ourselves to be on the outside may be true of who we are on the inside. May you be pure and blameless. God, I pray that, that, they, that God would fill you with the fruit of righteousness. May we be people driven to do good things for God. May we be people driven to share Christ, to help people find him and follow him. May we be driven to pray. May we be driven to serve. May we be driven to do good things that result in the praise and glory of God. May all those things be yours in abundance, not for anyone's namesake, beside him who is worthy. May you live your life for the glory and praise of God. We're gonna transition now to worship. And we're gonna worship God through singing. We're gonna worship God through prayer. We're gonna worship God through communion and through financial giving. But as we we transition out of this message and into a a moment, a time of worship, I just wanna leave you with two thoughts that that really struck me this week. Uh, The closing prayer from Paul is the glory and praise of God. And what is the glory of God? One gentleman defined it this way. His glory is the sum of all his perfections and the magnitude of who he is. I want to just ask you to pause and just think about the glory of God for a moment. I want to ask you to just pause and think about the sum of his perfections and the magnitude of who God is. Listen, he, he's holy. Like he's perfect. He never made a mistake. He's never sinned. He doesn't know the brokenness that you and I feel. He's on another level. He's in a league all of his own the power, the magnitude of who he is. Check it out. The Bible says that God spoke and the earth came into existence. People at NASA are still discovering stars, still discovering galaxies, still discovering planets that God spoke by the word of his mouth. He didn't break a sweat. It was easy for him. It's the magnitude of who he is. He's a big God. He does big things. Desires work big in your life. Let's just pause and just just remember, reflect on the glory of God as we, we say, God, you're big. The magnitude, the perfection of who you are, God, is overwhelming to us. And may that reality, as we reflect and remember the magnitude of who God is, may it result in his praise. And here's what praise is. Praise is the affirmation of that glory by those who recognize how awesome God is. 
When we recognize how awesome he is, we realize who we are and how finite we are, but yet we realize that he's the God who did all that. He hung the star in place, but yet he delights in the details of my life. He knows how many hairs are on my head. If he watches the sparrow when he falls, how much more does he care for me? God, I, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. And I just got a, I got a glimpse of it and I just got to praise you. May our lives, when we reflect on the glory of God, result in the affirmation of that glory by us who recognize how awesome he is. As we continue to worship, remember his glory and may it lead us to live lives from a posture of praise.
And I will be 